Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome for the second time tonight. If you want to hear about the birth of my beautiful daughter, Rivka, you will have to listen to my video on, uh, I don't know what we're calling it at this point, I guess, uh, Paul on trial, apostle or false apostle. You have to listen to that. I give the whole story. This is the second video of the night. And I'm going to be handing this over to Michael. He will be reading from the Genesis Targum chapter four and also giving the first commentary. So Michael, take it away, read chapter four and then get right into it. <clears throat> Sounds good. Thank you so much. Shabbat Shalom. As Noel said, I'm reading Palestinian Targum chapter four. So <clears throat> and Adam knew Hava, his wife, who had desired the angel, and she conceived and bare Cain. And she said, I have acquired a man, the angel of the Lord. And she added to bear from her husband Adam his twin, even Habel. And Habel was a shepherd of the flock, but Cain was a man working in the earth. And it was at the end of days, on the 14th of Nisan, that Cain brought of the produce of the earth, the seed of cotton, or lime, an oblation of first things before the Lord. And Abel brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat, and it was pleasing before the Lord. And he gave his countenance to Abel and to his oblation. But to Cain and to his oblation, he gave no countenance. And Cain was angered greatly, and the features of his face were downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, Why hast thou anger, and why are there the features of thy face downcast? If thou doest thy work well, will not thy guilt be forgiven thee? But if thou doest not thy work well in this world, thy sin is retained until the day of the great judgment. And at the doors of thy heart lieth thy sin. And into thy hand have I delivered the power over evil passion. And unto thee shall be the inclination thereof, that thou mayest have authority over it to become righteous or to sin. And Cain said to Abel his brother, Come, and let us go, and let us too go forth into the field. And it was that when they had, too had gone forth into the field, Cain answered and said to Abel, I perceive that the world was created in goodness, but it is not governed or conducted according to the fruit of good works. For there is respect to persons in judgment. Therefore it is that thy offering was accepted, and mine not accepted with good will. Habel answered and said to Cain, In goodness was the world created, and according to the fruit of good works is it governed. And there is no respect of persons in judgment. But because the fruit of my works were better than thine, my oblation before thine hath been accepted with good will. Cain answered and said to Abel, There is neither judgment nor judge, nor another world, nor will good reward be given to the righteous, nor vengeance be taken of the wicked. And Abel answered and said to Cain, There is a judgment, and there is a judge, and there is another world, and a good reward given to the righteous, and vengeance taken of the wicked. And because of these words they had contention upon the face of the field. And Cain arose against Abel his brother, and drave a stone into his forehead and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I the brother of my the keeper of my brother? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of the bloods of the murder of thy brother, which are swallowed up in the sod, crieth before me from the earth. And now, because thou hast killed him, thou art cursed from the earth, which had opened the mouth and received the bloods of thy brother from thy hand. When thou tillest the earth, it shall not add to give strength to its fruits for thee. A wonder and an exile shall thou be in earth. And Cain said before the Lord, More heavy is my rebellion than can be borne away. Yet is there power before thee to forgive it. Behold, thou hast cast me forth today from the face of the earth, and from before thee is it possible to be hidden. And because I am a wanderer and an exile on the earth, any just one who findeth me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Behold now, any one who killeth Cain, unto seven generations vengeance shall be taken of him. And the Lord sealed upon the face of Cain the mark 
of the name, great and honorable, that anyone who might find him should not kill him, when he saw it upon him. And Cain went out before the Lord, and dwelt in the land of the wandering of his exile, which had been made for him before, as the, the Garden of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Hanuk, and he builded a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Hanuk. And there was born unto Hanuk a rod, and a rod beget Mechulel, and Mechulel beget Methuselel, and Methuselel beget Lamach. And Lamach took to him two wives, the name of the first Ada, and the name of the second Zillah. And Ada bare Havel. He was the chief of all those who dwell in tents, and all and are masters of cattle. And the name of his brother Javel, I'm sorry, and Zillah bare also Tuvulcane, the chief of all artificers, who know the workmanship of brass and iron. And the sister of Tuvulcane was Naima. She was the mistress of elegies and songs. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Hearken to my words, for I have not killed a man, that I should be slain for him. Neither have I destroyed a young man, on whose account my children should perish. For Cain, who sinned and was converted by repentance, had protection unto seven generations extended to him. And to Lamech, the son of his son, who had not sinned, it is just that it shall be extended unto seventy and seven. And Adam knew his wife again, at the end of a hundred and thirty years after Abel had been slain. And she bare a son, and called his name Sheph. For she said, The Lord hath given me another son instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Sheph also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. That was the generation in whose days began to err, and to make themselves idols, and surname their idols by the name of the word of the Lord. Usually I'd hand it off to Noel. I'm going first, I guess. And perfect, Josh. Just put the targum in there. Um, okay. So usually I'm top-heavy, and that's no different today. Um, so I have a lot at the beginning, and then I'll tailor, taper off. Um, let's see where I want to begin here. Let's see. So like usual, Genesis is just packed. There's just so much we can get into. Um, <clears throat> I'll start on the first one. Uh, the difference. So Adam knew Eve, this is KGV, and she conceived in bare Cain. And said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And as you can see, if you're following along on a Palestinian, obviously a serpent seed translation. And Adam knew Hava, his wife, she had, who had desired the angel, and she conceived and bare Cain. And she said, I have acquired a man, the angel of the Lord. Okay, so as usual, I'm not going heavy into serpent seed. Hopefully, no, we'll cover that. I'm going to bring in Jubilees and kind of talk about what it describes on this narrative. So, um, it, it mentions that Cain settles down, marries his t sister Awan, who bore their first son Enoch. Very similar, right? Maybe not the, the sister, but approximately 196 years after the creation of Adam, Cain, Cain then establishes the first city, naming it after his son, builds a house, and lives there until it collapses on him, killing him. That's new, isn't it? Okay, so Jubilees 4, starting on 31. At the close of this Jubilee, Cain was killed after him in the same year. For his house fell upon him, and he died in the midst of his house. And he was killed by its stones. For with a stone he had killed Abel, and by a stone was he killed in righteous judgment. For this reason it was ordained on the heavenly tabots, with the instrument with which a man kills his neighbor, with the same shall he be killed. After the manner that he wounded him, in like manner shall they deal with him. So this is Jubilees is saying that it wasn't, this law came into effect after and it's, you know, it's interesting that, you know, his punishment was what he committed. Um, a cross-reference for this Jubilee's passage that I thought was interesting. Wisdom of Solomon 11. 
in return of their foolish and wicked thoughts, which led them astray to worship irrational serpents and worthless animals, you sent upon them a multitude of irrational creatures to punish them, so that they might learn that one is punished by the very thing by one with one sins. So I thought this was cool that, it, first of all, it talks about serpents, but second, it's saying you are punished by the very thing you're sending by. And I thought that was similar to Cain's punishment and how he died. And we're going to get into Jasher later, and he dies differently. So there, there's a contradiction right there. You, you decide which one is true or none of them, and you're, you're going to stick with the canon. Um, so some additional views on Cain and Abel. Um, the story of Cain and Abel is made reference in the Ethiopian Maccabees. Um, it's considered canonical in their Orthodox church. In this text, Cain killed Abel because he desired Abel's wife. That's a little different, huh? A Talmudic tradition says that after Cain had murdered his brother, Yah made a horn grow in his head. <laughs> Later, Cain was killed at the hands of his great-grandson Lamech, who mistook him for a wild beast. We'll read that later in Jasher. Jasher kind of confirms that. Um, according to a Midrashic tradition, Cain and Abel each had twin sisters. Each was to marry the others. The Midrash states that Abel's promised wife, Aklima, was more beautiful than Awan, Cain's promised wife. And so, after Cain would not consent to this arrangement, Adam suggested seeking God's blessing by means of a sacrifice. Whoever God blessed would marry Aklima. When God openly rejected Cain's sacrifice, Cain slew his brother in a fit of jealousy and anger. Again, not saying any of these are true, just trying to give you additional views on this story. Okay, so this is cool, I thought. that Some etymology on the name of Cain that I thought was interesting. The name Cain, which can mean smith, resembles the word translated as gotten, but also meaning to make like a locksmith. So I thought that was interesting. So Ha Theological Word Book and Nobbs Study Bible translate the name Cain with spear, but Nobbs adds smith, possibly because of the similarity with the verb Q-I-N, or because of the name Tubal Cain, who was a smith. Brown Drivers Briggs states that although it seems that the name Cain comes from the verb used by Eve in Genesis 4.1, the name Cain is etymologically, I butchered that, most probably akin to the Cainite tribe, the Cainite tribe. That, they're mentioned in Judges, and they were coppersmiths and metal workers. I've done research on the Masonry and Freemasonry, and that's a, they, it's kind of like a Cain religion, and it just, it's not a coincidence that they, they work with their hands like that. Um, Canaan, and finally on this part, Cain and Abel are traditional English renderings of the Hebrew names. It was proposed that the etymology of their names may be a direct pun on the roles that they take in the Gen Genesis narrative. Abel is thought to derive from a re reconstructed word meaning herdsman with the modern Arabic cognate Ibel, now specifically referring only to camels. Cain, or Q-I-N, is thought to be... Um, yeah, meaning metalsmith. So this theory would make the names descriptive of their roles, where Abel would work with livestock and Cain with agriculture. Again, just trying to add some extra context. Jeff Benner, his take on it. I know Pam loves Jeff Benner. So do I. Um, the word cayenne means to acquire, to possess, something which is why Eve said, I have gotten or acquired, you know, a man. Um, the word havel means to be empty, often translated as vain or vanity, in the sense of being empty in substance. So, I thought this was cool. The Hebrew word for name is Shem. So, the, 
you know, the Jews say Hashem, the name, and literally means breath or character. So in Hebrew thought, one's name is reflective of one's character. Um, and the Hebraic meaning of the names, Cain and Abel, are windows into their character. Cain is a possessor, one who has substance, while Abel is empty of substance. Okay, so hope you guys enjoyed that. I'm going to do number two, I think, and then hand it to Noel. Yeah, I'll just do number two um, real quick. And I'm going to read the Palestinian. It says, actually, I'll start with the Hebrew. Or the KGB. I'm a mess tonight. And she, again, bears brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Did you guys catch that? So in verse 1, Eve conceived. But in this one, she didn't. She just bears brother. I noticed the word conceived wasn't used with Abel. I'm not sure what to make of that. Like it was used with Cain. What do you guys think of that? I will talk more about that later, but I want to, you know, throw that out there. So I did a word study on that word tiller. So Cain was a tiller of the ground. Um, other passages talk about tilling, like in Proverbs. But some additional definitions for that word tiller is slave or forced labor in Genesis. I'll read that. In Joshua, it's, it mentions, oh, forced labor as well, sorry. But then in Malachi, it talks about one who serves, serves God, or who, who does not serve him. So a tiller is all three. It could be uh, tilling the ground, slave, forced labor, or one who serves God. So here's the passages. Genesis 49, 14. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between the sheepfolds. When he saw that a resting place was good, and that the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave at forced labor. That word slave is the same as tiller. And I thought it was interesting that sheepfolds was in the same sentence, considering Abel was a sheep, uh, you know, shepherd. Um, again, Joshua also mentions being a forced laborer. So 16. Actually, I don't know the chapter, sorry about that. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the sons of Ephraim, according to their families, together with the cities which were set apart of the sons of Ephraim in the midst of their inheritance of the sons of Manasseh, and all the cities with their villages. But they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites live in the midst of Ephraim to this day, and they became forced laborers. So that word, forced laborers, is till. So Canaanites are forced laborers. Cain was a tiller of the ground. And then Malachi. This is the one who said, serve God is, or do not serve him, or is tilling. So Malachi 3.16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And the book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve God. Same word, tilling. Okay, wrapping it up here in number two. Palestinian, way different. It, this kind of insinuates what I was hinting at. <laughs> so, and she added to bear from her husband, Adam, his twin, even Abel. And Abel was a shepherd of the flock, but Cain was a man working in the earth. I'll speak more on the, the twins part later, but maybe that's why she didn't conceive again, because she had twins, <laughs> right? Um, so additional etymology in Abel. Abel's name could be also associated with vapor or puff of air. And I thought this was cool. His name in Hebrew is composed of the same three consonants as a root meaning breath. 
so that was able. And then finally, um, some additional things enabled outside of the canon. In the Book of Adam and Eve, and the Syriac Cave of Treasures, Abel's body, after many days of mourning, was placed in the Cave of Treasures, before which Adam and Eve and descendants offered their prayers. In addition, the Sethite line of the generations of Adam swear by Abel's blood to segregate themselves from the unrighteous. And finally, in the Book of Enoch, the soul of Abel is described as having been appointed as the chief of martyrs, crying for vengeance for the destruction of the seed of Cain. A similar view is later shown in the Testament of Abraham, where Abel has been raised to the position as the judge of the souls. Again, just throwing out other possible views. That's my commentary on four and or four one and two. I will hand it off to Noel. So, <laughs> I love how Michael just comes in there and he just starts tearing it up. You know, like you know all the contradictions, all those kind of things. Now, I want to point out that uh, there there are guys. One of the the facts uh, is is that when you look at these different texts, there are some things that don't fit very well. What what to my pleasure though, and I want to do want to point this out is for some of you who have followed some of my work, I have put in a big effort in trying to take all these different texts and showing that I think that they do connect far more than they don't. And a lot of times when you have I pointed this out with like the four gospels. I mean, you put the four gospels together, there are some things that are radically different in them. And uh, a lot of it can be, you know, you take you take any four biographers who aren't comparing notes and they're just going out there and investigating and looking at things. They're going to come up with a seemingly very different story. Uh, that's just the way this works. Now, when we get into Adam and Eve and what we call Adamic literature and Enochian literature and some of that stuff, some of the stuff does get really messy. Um, and one of the, the pressing questions is what Michael has already covered. Now there there is the whole you know how did um uh how did uh, what's his face Kane how did he die did he have a house fall on him or did he get shot with a I believe it was a bow and arrow and I've seen people say, I haven't really done a deep study on that I've heard people try to make sense to say both are actually correct and they very well may be uh, that's one of the amazing things and we'll get into that when we get into Genesis six and I'm going to try to present the case that. The, the sons of Seth and the sons of Elohim theory are both correct. And just because one story, uh, one writer prefers to write about one point of view and another on a different point of view doesn't make one or the other wrong. It just means that there are different events uh, that actually fit together really well. Now, this is one of, in all that I looked at, what we are going to look at right now is the head scratcher for me. Uh, did Eve or Hava, did she have twins? Did she have triplets? Did she have quadruplets? I can't answer that question. Uh, now, in verse one here, Michael, Michael just jumped right at it. And he had, it, I mean, it's, this straight out says here, it's a confirmation on chapter three, everything we, uh, and actually, I, I, some of you guys know I authored a book that I actually took it from Genesis, uh, are we on chapter four? I think we're on chapter four. Chapter four, one, where it says, I, I called the book, The Angel She Desired. And it's a reference to serpent seed, and and it straight out says Hava, who had desired the angel, and she conceived and bare Cain, and you guys know that. Well, all right. So, looking at verse two, and I've tried to look at this in a number of different ways, right? And she added to bear from her husband Adam his twin, whose twin, Cain's twin or Adam's twin. Now it makes most sense here that it it 
contextually that it's Kane's twin. Um, but I have looked at this in a number of different ways. Because when we get to Seth, we also see that Seth is Adam's mirror image. And um, now it, it seems to be that if, if this is a different conception and, um, and delivery, that they would just say that, you know, that it's Adam's mirror image rather than his twin. So just keep that in mind. All right. So again, I've looked at this passage countless times. It appears as though Cavill is the twin brother of Cain. But on closer inspection, it seems it, it, it is possible to be relating Havel uh, to be Adam's twin rather than Cain's, right? Because we're making the distinction here between uh, Cain taking on the look of the angel and Havel taking on the look of his father. That doesn't mean they weren't born at the same time. Some have suggested menage a trois, but it needn't be so. Okay, so... I don't need to get too visual here, but the idea is that has been put forward is that uh, Hava and Satan were going at it, and uh, Adam's like, hey, can I jump in and join? That has been put forward. I do not take that point of view because if that were the case, I believe Adam would have been judged very differently. I do not believe uh, all that I pointed out in the last week shows that it, in all the multiple books that it was eve committing adultery and that adam did not take part in that so what's going on so it is very possible to conceive twins on completely separate days okay it doesn't need to be at the same time i'll give you an example uh, my twin sons were likely conceived a few days apart uh, my wife and i conceived the first child she then left on a mission trip to mexico for the weekend and upon returning we can see the second a few days later. It's totally possible. Uh, had Adam joined in with Hava and Satan again, then the curse landing on him would have reflected that fact, uh, like the childbearing pain with Hava, which I believe is a direct correlation to what she did, her adultery, and the fact that you know Cain is a result of that. What I am suggesting is that Adam did lay with Hava either before or after her act of adultery. I will even go so far as to say she conceived the child uh, before Cain was conceived. Um, as having intercourse immediately after the episode seems a bit off, emotionally speaking, but you never really know. Like what I'm, what I'm saying here is that if they went through this really traumatic um, episode of this adultery and then the judgment from Yah being kicked out of the garden, hurled down to the earth... You know, like you have a window of a few days or whatever. I, I just don't see Adam and Eve getting back together and being like, let's have another child. All right. So, and Michael uh, talked about this, and I'm going to go ahead and read this. Uh, Cain did have a twin. According to the book of Adam and Eve, here is what we read about it. And they, this comes from chapter 74 of the first book of Adam and Eve. And they lived on the earth working in order to keep their bodies in good health. This is a uh, reference to Adam and Eve. And they continued so until the nine months of Eve's pregnancy were over and the time drew near when she must give birth. Um, now, and I, I go ahead and point out here, all traditions um, from Jubilees, Jasher, everything I can find shows that Cain and Abel were born uh, at different times. So either the Targum, I'll call it, either the Targum is straight out wrong here, or it's a reference, and it could be a translation error too. It's a reference to 
I can't read the Aramaic. It, it's a reference to Abel uh, looking like Adam's twin, which until I can be proven wrong, that's what I'm going with. Uh, continuing. Uh, then she, Eve, said to Adam, the signs placed in this cave since we left the garden indicate that this is a pure place and we will be praying in it again sometime. It is not appropriate then that I should give birth in it. Let us instead go to the sheltering rock cave that was formed by the command of Elohim when Satan threw a big rock down on us in an attempt to kill us with it. Adam then took Eve to the cave. When the time came for her to give birth, she strained a lot, uh, obviously childbearing. It's funny we're talking about this. I just went through the, the childbearing episode this last week. Adam felt sorry, and he was very worried about her because she was close to death. Uh, and the words of Elohim to her were being fulfilled. In suffering shall you bear a child, and in sorrow shall you bring forth a child. But when Adam saw the distress in which Eve was, uh, he got up and he prayed to Elohim and said, O oh, Adonai, look at me with the eye of your mercy and bring her out of her distress. And Elohim looked at his maidservant Eve and delivered her, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and with him a daughter. So according to uh, Edemic literature, uh, there were twins. There, there were twins born, but it was a boy and a girl. Uh, then, at, and and as far as I can tell, in all these traditions, even in the Targum, that the twin, the other Cain's other twin sister, was not conceived of Hasatan; that it was conceived of Adam. Then, uh, then Adam rejoiced at Eve's deliverance and also over the children she had borne him. And Adam ministered to Eve in the cave until the night of. To the end of eight days, uh, when they named the son Cain and the daughter Lulua. Now, with all these different books, you get multiple names of the same person. That's not uncommon. I mean, Jasher talks about Moses had like like seven names or something like that. So it's just not uncommon to have different names. Here it calls her Lulua. The meaning of Cain is uh, well, whatever. Well, it, it goes on here and talks about this and. And it says Lulua means beautiful, uh, that she was extremely beautiful because she was more beautiful than her mother, than Eve. All right. So their names, the first, according to this word, Cain and Lulua. We then read about Abel and his twin sister. When the children were weaned, Eve again conceived. And when her pregnancy came to term, she gave birth to another son and daughter. They named the son Abel or Abel and the daughter Akriah. This comes from chapter 75, verse 11. Here is why I do not believe Lulua was a daughter of Satan. It's because Adam and Hava were planning to have Lulua over in marriage to Havel, whereas Cain was expected to receive uh, his uh, twin sister, Akriya. And so we read this continuing on in chapter 76. But as to the hard-hearted Cain, Satan came to him by night and showed himself and said to him, since Adam and Eve love your brother Abel so much more than they love you, he's got to just get into the, the sibling rivalry, doesn't he? They wish to join him in marriage to your beautiful sister because they love him. However, they wish to join you in marriage to his ugly sister <laughs> because they hate you. Uh, <laughs> now, before they do that, I mean, I don't know if she was really ugly, but, you know, obviously Lulua um, was more beautiful than Eve, and that has to be saying something, according to this text. Now, before they do that, I am telling you that you should kill your brother. That way your sister will be left for you, and his sister will be cast away. And Satan departed from him, but the devil remained behind in Cain's heart and frequently aspired to kill his brother. Now, 
We'll be talking more about this, and of course, Michael will too through these passages. And I just want to point out that again, if one text talks about one motivation, like one of the reasons that he killed his brother was, uh, you know, in his heart he had this burning desire for his own twin sister, which was going to be given to Abel. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean one text or the other is wrong. It's just a you know a different motivation that is expressed. Hopefully, everyone understands that. Um, anyways, I'm going to hand it back to Michael. Take it back. Alrighty. Um, I'm going to do uh, three through five. I'm going to hand it back to Noel. Uh, where is it? So the KGV. Um, I'm going to show the difference because <laughs> Palestinians, you know, uh, way different. So, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respected unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Palestinian. And it was at the end of the days, on the 14th of Nisan, day, day of preparation, uh, that Cain of the Passover uh, brought of the produce of the earth the seed of cotton or lime, an oblation of first things before the Lord. And Abel brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat, and it was pleasing before the Most High. And he gave his countenance to Abel and to his oblation, but to Cain and to his oblation he gave no countenance. And Cain was angered greatly, and the features of his face were downcast. So, uh, three quick passages on the preparation 14th of Nisan, preparation day. Um, Exodus 16. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept into the morning. That's awesome. Preparation day. We know about it, right? Uh, John 19.31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For the Sabbath day was a high day, but sought Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might, make, might be taken away. Mark 15. 42, when evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So I just thought it was really cool that um, that uh, Palestinian mentions that this is when these two guys brought their offerings to the high priest, to their father. Um, and if you, you know, if you can make the connection of Abel um, being a shepherd and presenting his offering and getting killed for that. Um, let's see. Okay, so it's noteworthy the difference in the type of sacrifice. So fruits of the soil are renewable and bloodless. Fat portions are set apart for the Lord, Leviticus 3.16. And came from the firstborn. Now this is awesome. Because your firstborn, it, it points to an act of faith because it is not guaranteed that there will be more. So you give your firstborn, not knowing that Yahoo is going to bless you again with more. That's amazing. So this one would deal with the curse which Yah had placed upon the ground, while the other would care for living and breathing animals. Okay, so some additional information on a man who is a tiller of the ground remains close to the ground. So these farmers generally end up living in permanent dwellings such as houses. Didn't Cain build a city and a home, right? While it is true that Adam and Eve tended to the garden, Cain was now tilling cursed ground outside of the garden. And so the farmer is a slave to his field. Uh, faith in Yon's superiority of man was first lost among the agricultural nations. 
it was there that idol worship first developed. We're going to get to that right now. So a keeper of sheep, though, wanders with their flocks and generally lives in tents. Didn't Yeshua say he did not have an earthly home? He just wandered to different cities. Um, Genesis 46.34 says, For every shepherd is an abomination to Egypt. Why would Egypt care about a shepherd? It's because they idolized agriculture. Um, so Egyptian culture was based on agriculture. The forefathers were shepherds. Jacob was a dweller in tents, while Esau was a man of the field. Yaakov's sons were shepherds. Moshe kept the flock. David tended to his father's flock. Proverbs speaks in favor of shepherding. And Amos was one of the herdsmen of Tekoa. Okay, so all this talk about keeper of sheep instead of tiller of the ground made me think of the first Adam versus the second Adam, Yeshua. So there were so many parallels. You know, everybody, you know, a lot of people in Torah know about the Joseph parallels with Yeshua. I haven't heard much about Adam except for him being the second Adam, but I did some research on that. I had to cut this down. I'm going to, this is too good, so I'm going to post this in the chat. And you guys can read along. So first Adam sinned. Second Adam, Yeshua committed no sin. First Adam separated us from Yah. Second Adam, his righteousness brought us back to God, brought us back to the garden. Death came through first Adam. Second Adam became a life giver um, and resurrection, eternal life. First Adam was to toil, sweat, and eat from the ground. Second Adam became manna and bread of life. First Adam was a man who sought to become like God, Genesis 3, right? Take, eat this and you become like one of us. The last Adam was Elohim who became a man. Um, first Adam tasted death from a tree. From a tree. The last Adam tasted death on a tree. The first Adam blamed his bride. The last Adam took the blame for his bride. The first Adam brought thorns and, thorns and thistles. The last Adam wore thorns and thistles. The first Adam brought a curse. The last Adam became a curse. Finally, the first Adam listened when the serpent said, take and eat. And the last Adam told his followers, take and eat. This blew me away when I saw this. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Do I want to read seven? No, I'll stop here. I'll let Noel catch up to me. And will I ever have to catch up to you? That was some excellent commentary. And uh, particularly the, the first and second Adam. That was spot on. I never really thought to you know, create bullet points like that. And that's really great stuff. So thank you. All right. So as obviously, as Michael pointed out, I, I love the fact that the Aramaic Targum just tells you that the law existed from the very beginning and people can kick and scream at this, but contextually it makes the most sense. For example, uh, if the, you know, the 10 commandments was not given it until Mount Sinai. And yet Cain was judged for murder. He should not have been judged for murder if there were no Ten Commandments. And people will be like, oh, well, that's the exception. It's like, no, no. You, if you're saying that the law did not come until Mount Sinai, that includes the Ten Commandments. That was given to them. We don't see the Ten Commandments given at any other time. So contextually, again, again and again, it makes the most sense that why were they bring, bringing a, a sacrifice? Where was the law? There had to be a law. There had to be rules and regulations of what they were doing. And we see here the 14th of Nisan. So that's, you know, obviously rather awkward. <laughs> uh, and as I said, yeah, so, okay. 
the, the most simplest explanation as to why Yahuwah did not accept Cain's offering is because he didn't go about it right. And Michael covered some of that. And also Lisa had commented in here about, which this was in my notes as well, but she said that Cain would also have to obtain a lamb from his brother for the sacrifice. Ouch. Because we, we see the sibling rivalry. Like, uh, Cain would not have wanted to go get a lamb from his brother. He wanted he would have wanted to be independent from him. And what he's doing here, when you connect the dots, Cain hated his brother. Therefore, he hated Yahuwah too. One affects the other. And also, he uh, rather than going through the right way and purchasing a lamb from his brother to offer, he wanted to offer Yahuwah, he wanted to worship Yahuwah in the way he wanted to do it. Again, ouch, because we see from the very beginning the traditions of men, the doctrines of men, and Adam had clearly instructed them uh, as the priest and he wasn't following through. So we see in Jude chapter 1, verses 11, this. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of who? Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. Right there we see three things. Balaam, Korah, Cain. Well, Balaam and Korah, uh, Korah rebelled against the law. He didn't, he felt that, uh, that Yahuwah was speaking words to him that contradicted Moses. And he felt that his way was better with like so many people in the world today. And he led people to their destruction. Uh, Balaam, I just read about today in our Torah portion. And of course he, uh, what's really fascinating about Balaam is that he was actually getting words, visions, and prophecy from the most high. Like Yahuwah speaking to him, and he's still wicked and leading people to sin to break the Torah. That reminds us of so many people today who who say that, you know, well, they have to be right because they're hearing words from the Most High, and they're getting prophecies. And it's like, that. none of that matters. It doesn't matter if they prophesy correctly. That's not, that's not actually how Scripture identifies a true and a false prophet. You can speak true prophecies and still be wicked. Uh, you, if you are drawing people away from Torah. So here we see Cain in the same context in Jude. He was breaking Torah. He was breaking the law. Uh, let's see. All right. And uh, that's, I think Michael covered a lot of that really well. So I'm going to hand it back to you, Michael, for verse six through probably seven, I figure. Yep. Yeah, I got nothing on six, but I can do seven real quick. Let's see. Okay, so KGV, it says, If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So, did a study on the word accepted. It means two separate things. Uh, in Genesis 49, 3, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity. Preeminent in power. That word dignity is accepted. But then the other definition really blew me away. It's every other time it's that so that we're used five times, five or six times in the Old Testament. This Genesis seven, Genesis forty nine, and then every other five five times in Leviticus or no four other times there, Leviticus chapter thirteen, which is the skin disease chapter. So I'm going to throw this out there: Did Cain have a skin disease? Is that what this is saying? I don't know. I couldn't find much on that topic. I researched it, but I thought the word stated was interesting. Why does accepted mean swelling? 
I guess it could mean swelling of pride internally. But so Leviticus 13.2, when a person has a swelling or accepted a scab or spot in the skin of his body, and he becomes a disease. Uh, 13.10, the priest will examine him if there is a white swelling on the skin that has turned the hair white. Leviticus 13.9, and a white swelling or reddish white spot develops. Finally, Leviticus 13.28, but if the spot has remained where it was and has not spread on the skin, but is faded, it is the swelling from the burn. The priest is to announce him clean. I don't know exactly what to make of it. Did, did Cain have a swelling of some type? But I will say, it appeared he had an issue and was bringing it to the high priest, and it wasn't accepted. Like, his, <laughs> whatever he was dealing with was not accepted. Just throwing that out there. If you guys can do more research on that. I just thought it was interesting that that word accepted means swelling. Um, okay, so since Genesis talked about Reuben linking it with Cain, I tried to find something regarding Reuben and Cain. I found one thing. I thought that was interesting, So, but in a good way. So um, why did Cain evade God's question? So he's like, um, so the inversion of roles adds depth to Cain's response when Yah asked after the murder, where's your brother Abel? Cain replies, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Um, there are many ironies here. For one, Cain does, not, does know where Abel is. He murdered him. And more importantly, as the older brother, Cain is indeed supposed to be his brother's keeper, literally one who guards and protects. So the firstborn son had authority and responsibility for his younger brother. And then here's the link. This is why Reuben, Jacob's firstborn son, convinces his brothers not to murder their younger brother, Joseph. He urges, let us not take his life, shed no blood. But Cain rejects that obligation to care for Abel. Instead, he takes his life. So that's really the only thing I found on that. But I thought it was interesting that Reuben protected his brother somewhat, right? Um, and Cain did not. Um, let's see. We talked about were Cain and Abel twins. Palestinian Targum said so. What do you guys think? Um, I thought I read that Jasher says they were seven years apart. Again, is Jasher way out there? Um, let's see. In the normal Hebraic counting of multiple births. Oh, wait, here's another link with Reuben. Both the conception and the birth of each child are mentioned. So we see in Genesis 29, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And then, <clears throat> let's see, but in like, like we said earlier, in Genesis, it didn't. Adam knew his wife, she conceived and bore Cain, and then she bore his brother Abel. There was no, again, conception. Um... There was one conception, two births. Uh, the Hebrew word for again is a soft, meaning to add something. In this case, the birthing of Abel was added to the birthing of Cain. Cain and Abel were twins, question mark? I don't know. Um, and then uh, Graham posted it. Super fecundation is the fertilization of two or more ova from the same cycle of sperm from separate acts of sexual intercourse, which could lead to twin babies from two separate biological fathers. So there's a science term for that. So I'll leave that up to the audience if you guys think that's possible. Palestinian on 4.7 says, If thou doest thy work well, will not thy guilt be forgiven thee? But if thou doest not thy work well in this world, thy sin is retained until the day of great judgment, and the doors of thy heart lieth thy sin. Way different than the KGV, but it emphasizes it way more. Um, if you don't do well, your sin is retained until the day of the great judgment. 
Wow. Okay, two more things. I'll hand it back off to Noel. Uh, the NIV Archaeological Study Bible notates that the word crouches, or lieth in this case, is the same as an ancient Babylonian word used to describe a demon lurking behind a door, threatening the people inside. So that's what it means, you know, uh, what's the word? Crouches, sin crouches by the door. And then finally, I'm not 100% sure that's true, but this is what I found, that this is the first time sin is mentioned. So obviously you can go back to the beginning and say, you know, that is sin, but the actual word of sin was this this time. What do you guys think of that? Uh, that's all I got for seven. I'll hand it back to Noel. So usually when Michael and I have found in this series, surprisingly, this is our is this our fifth week in the Targum? And surprisingly, Michael, I, I usually have Michael go first and he he says completely different things that are in my notes. And I'm always surprised. I'm like, wow, we're not covering the same thing. And I could just go through my, and tonight it's like, I feel like we're playing a game of basketball because it's just like the two of us on the court. And he's like, just taking all the shots. I'm like, ah, I got to scratch that out on, on my notes. So he's doing a great job. Uh, but anyways, he brought up the, and I didn't pick this up. This, I don't have notes on this. So I do apologize, but it's when, when, Michael was describing the the facial expressions, the swelling up of of Cain, and in my opinion, he was describing leprosy. Now, for those of you who have went through the study with me on the very controversial and dark read, the book of um, Lamech of Cain and Leviathan, it's a it's a fascinating read because the book actually backs up uh, the writings of Abraham, many others, and I'm not going to read all of it here. I don't have the notes in front of me, but what it made very clear was that the condition of Cain, in fact, the mark of Cain, was that he had leprosy, and all of his descendants, the the sons of Cain, all had leprosy. And one of the things we discussed in that study is that every single time you come across leprosy in the Bible, it is always the result of a spiritual condition. Whatever they say is leprosy today is not the same leprosy as the Bible. Okay, let's make that very clear. I don't know why this biblical leprosy is not on the earth now. Maybe we're just in a different paradigm, different time, you know, a post-millennial kingdom, mud flood thing. I don't know, but all throughout Torah and the Old Testament, you can go through all the examples when someone would get leprosy, it is a result of rebellion against Yah. So it is very possible that at this point, when Yahuwah is approaching him, he already has leprosy. And that to me, that makes total sense. Now, the, the mark here will be described as uh, something else. We'll get to that. But you can see here that um, it, it appears like he may have already had it at this point. All right. Now, the other thing I really liked here is that in verse 7, and I'll just read it really quickly at the end there, where it says, And into thy hand have I delivered the power over evil passion. Now, that's powerful words, guys. Keep in mind, according to the Aramaic Targum, and I do agree with this, he was the son, not of Adam, but of Satan. All right? And 
when I have done this serpent seed research, I have a lot of people like freaking out and come to me going like, what if I'm serpent seed? What does that mean for me and my salvation and my security? I'm like, okay, whoa, 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 back up here. And then, you know, they'll start like looking at all their genealogy and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm related to Charlemagne. What does that mean? And it's like, okay. All right. So one of the things that I found really incredible about, like when I did the genealogical searches, so Nimrod is, you know, a descendant of Ham, and we'll get into that. We'll that I will show you that Ham was also a of the of the children of Cain. And you're like, well, how does that work? Well, if you haven't been on the studies with me, we'll get to it in probably like chapters, probably maybe next week. And what really started tripping me out is when I started looking, doing genealogical searches on the children of Nimrod. And you look at uh, uh, Hagar, uh, uh, who she was the, I think she was the daughter of Pharaoh. Well, Pharaoh was the son of Nimrod. You look at Eliezer. I think Eliezer was the grandson of Nimrod. And what Nimrod was doing was that he was actually, uh, he was, in order to expand his kingdom, and this makes total sense, he was taking all of his children and he was planting them in thrones all over that region there. And they would, you know, serve him and pay, um, you know, due to their their father, their grandfather, and so on and so forth. And so you have Abraham and this mess, and he has no heir. He's given this promise from Yah that he, you know, his his seed will be like the stars, as you guys know. And he's like, oh, I'll hand over the uh, keys to the kingdom to Eliezer. Or, you know, you have, you know, Ishmael and all this kind of stuff. And you look at this and go how close this was to, you know, him handing it over to the, the children of Nimrod. And, I mean, you look at Eliezer. He's an amazing individual because he served Abraham and he forsook his kingdom, the kingdom of Nimrod, to serve the kingdom of Yah. And the point here I'm trying to make here is that even if you come from the seed of Cain, which I think that, you know, I'm not worried about this in a post mud flood uh, environment so much but you still have the choice at the end of the day yahusha uh, makes it clear i believe in john that either you come from the seed of satan or the seed of yah and that's your decision guys if you choose to serve yah and be obedient to him you are of the seed of yah it doesn't matter where you come from all right if you choose to rebel you are the seed of satan all right. So on a spiritual level, not a physical. And you see many people who came from the seed who still serve Yah and they entered the kingdom. Uh, Eliezer is a great example of this. But and this is what I like what it says here. So he has he has a Cain was given the power to to be delivered over evil passion. He could have chosen just because he came from the son of Satan doesn't mean he had to be like Satan. He chose that path. He could have chose to be good, just as much as Abel could have chosen to rebel as well. And unto thee shall be the inclination thereof, that thou mayest have authority over it to become righteous or to sin. So right there, time and again in Scripture, we see the definition of righteousness. If I ask any Christian what the definition of righteousness is, most of the time they're like, uh, uh they don't know. Uh, they might say that, you know, righteousness is, you know, the, the classic um, reformation, take that route of, oh, it's it's accredited to us. Thank you, you know, to Jesus. He's righteous. We're not. And if we believe in him, then we're, you know, accredited to righteousness. But throughout scripture, we see that you can choose to be set apart and not sin and be righteous. 
All right. So we see that right there. So I just went through the series. Oh, let me um, quote last week. I'll pull this up. And this was the, um, the, what was given to Hasatan in chapter three, verse 15, the, the judgment. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between the seed of thy son and the seed of her son. So right there, it's saying that there will be enmity between uh, Satan's children, Cain and so on, and her children, which is why we see the genealogy guys. We see the sons of Cain and the sons of Seth. Why would they do that otherwise? And it shall be when the sons of the woman keep the commandments of the law. Now, keep in mind, the sons of the woman, right? So Cain is also a son of the woman, so he could also choose to keep the law. When the sons of the woman keep the commandments of the law, they will be prepared to smite thee upon thy head. But when they forsake the commandments of the law, that will be ready to wound them in their heel. Nevertheless, for them, there shall be a medicine. Uh, but for thee, there will be no medicine. All right. And they say that the medicine is King Mashiach, um, Yahushua HaMashiach. All right. So uh, we, we went through this in in First Clements. I'll just take a quick little quip. And I, I love Clements. And I, I just, I fell in love with that book going through it with you guys. And, you know, where Clements just going through and saying, look, guys, you know, you can be righteous. It's, you know, the commands, you can keep the commands, you can keep the Torah. And here's what he says. And this goes right into the, to Genesis. So having finished all these things, this is the creation week. He praised them and blessed them and said, increase and multiply. He being Yahuwah. We have seen that all the righteous were adorned in good works. So he just told you here that all the righteous, they were what? Did they just believe uh, that there would be a Messiah someday who would make them righteous? No. And said they were all adorned in good works. Yea, and Yahuwah himself, having adorned himself with worlds, rejoiced. So seeing then that we have this pattern, what pattern? The pattern that Yahuwah worked and he created good fruits, good produce, works. Let us conform ourselves with all diligence to his will, which is working to produce good things. Um, let us, with all our strength, work the work of righteousness. He even put two works in Work the work, guys. Work the work of righteousness. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's going to be it on that. I'm going to hand it back to you, Michael. All right. I want to agree with Noel, too, about it. It was never about blood, and I'm going to see, put something here. Look at that. That's Masoretic. And Ayub, Job, died and old and satisfied with the days. Okay, that's it. You just agree with the Masoretic? That's it. You look up the Septuagint. Job was from Esau. He was, his father was Zaire, one of the sons of Esau. Look at the difference. That's a whole paragraph for the Masoretic. Is one sentence. So if you believe Septuagint's legit, Job, Job is from the Esau lineage, and he was considered righteous. Um, so yeah, I thought that was cool. Um, I'm just going to do eight because then I have nothing until eleven. Uh, let's see. So number eight says KGV and Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field. Then Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Palestinian was like five sentences. So if you have your link, please follow along. So I'm going to read it all. So and Cain said to Abel, his brother, come, let us two go forth in the field. And it was that when they had two had gone forth into the field, 
Cain answered and said to Abel, I perceive that the world was created in goodness, but it is not governed or conducted according to the fruit of good works, for there is respect to persons in judgment. Therefore it is that thy offering was accepted and mine not accepted with goodwill. Abel answered and said to Cain, In goodness was the world created, and according to the fruit of good works is it governed, and there was no respect of persons in judgment. But because the fruits of my works were better than thine, my oblation before thine had been accepted with goodwill. This is key. Cain answered and said to Abel, There is neither judgment nor judge, nor another world, nor will good reward be given to the righteous, nor vengeance be taken of the wicked. And Abel answered and said to Cain, There is judgment, there is a judge, and there is another world, and a good reward, reward given to the righteous, and vengeance taken of the wicked. And because of these words they had contention upon the face of the field. And Cain arose against Abel his brother and drave a stone in his forehead. Did you see that? Cain... Like, turned into, like, an atheist or, like, a, a definitely a Sadducee. He didn't believe in the in the resurrection. He didn't believe in an afterlife. What do you guys make of that? I thought that was really interesting. Um, he, Cain, Cain doesn't believe in a, in a judge, in another world. Um, I don't know. That, that was very different. Um... Okay, so I'm not going to read all this because it's just way too much, but I want to show what Jasher said. I'm going to post it in there and then read the half of it. Oh, meshes are just too long here. Okay, hold on. Let me cut it in half. All right, so I'm going to start from where it says, And Cain approaches brother. This is chapter one. Um, and Cain approached his brother Abel in anger, and he said unto him, What is there between me and thee, that thou comest to dwell, and bring thy flock to feed in my land? And Abel answered his brother Cain, and said unto him, What is there between me and thee, that thou shalt eat the flesh of my flock, and clothe thyself with their wool? And now therefore put off the wool of my sheep, with which thou hast clothed thyself, and recompense me for the fruit and flesh which thou hast eaten. And when thou shalt have done this, I will then go from thy land as thou said. And Cain said to his brother Abel, Surely, if I slay thee this day, who will require thy blood for me? And Abel answered Cain, saying, Surely God has made us in the earth, and he will avenge my cause, and he will require blood from thee, shouldest thou slay me. For the Lord is the judge and arbiter, and it is he who will requite man according to his evil, and the wicked man according to the wickedness that he may do upon the earth. And now if thou shouldest slayest me, surely God knoweth thy secret views, and will judge thee for the evil which thou didst declare to this day. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to read that part. But so Jasher gives a little bit different story and more context. So it appears that they had a deal between each other where they were sharing each other's product. So Abel calls him out and says, aren't you clothed with my sheep? Aren't you eating them? Um, Cain got selfish and angry and didn't want to keep up his end of the bargain. He He's like, why are you on my land? <laughs> um, also appears that they knew the importance of blood and death. Uh, my wife Stephanie pointed that out that they knew what <laughs> they knew what would happen. Abel already knew what would happen. Um, my take on that would be they knew their parents' former state if they were light beings with no blood because the blood was the curse. Um, that was the fallen. Life is in the blood. When when you don't have blood, you know, the, I don't think we're not going to have blood in our resurrected bodies. That's the eternal state. Um, that's definitely a study that I want to do. What do you guys think about that? I thought Jasher, I thought that was very interesting. The Palestinian talks about he doesn't believe in an afterlife. And then 
and Jasher, it says they had a deal going on. They had a deal, and Cain wanted everything on his part, but when it, when it was time to give his land to Abel, he got angry. Um, I don't have anything until 11, so I'll hand it off to Nona. Yeah, there seemed to be a, a lot of issues there between them. And I'm going to take what Michael talked about, the what he called Cain the atheist, and I'm going to expand on that. So once again, Cain is telling Abel, there is neither judgment nor judge, nor another world. So he's saying there, there is no heaven, nor will good reward be given to the righteous, nor vengeance be taken of the wicked. I think that it's... it's um. When you look at endemic literature, and this just occurred to me because Michael had talked about earlier about how Cain may have already kind of wandered at this point or kind of left. And um, when you get into endemic literature and you get into the mountain of worship, which is where Seth, who was not born yet, Seth and all his descendants lived, which is Mount Zion. So where uh, not the not Fort Antonia in Jerusalem, but literally Mount Zion, just to the south of Jerusalem, that would be where the mountain of worship is. And when you get into that, they all talk about how they could actually see paradise above them from that location. But once you leave the mountain of worship, you can't come back. So it's really interesting for Cain to be in the predicament already that he's saying there's no judge, there's no other world, there's no good reward that will be given to the righteous nor vengeance be taken of the wicked. And so he's basically saying, like, we're all in this on our own. we got to make our own way in life, and so on and so forth. All right, so let's compare what is happening with Cain and Abel, with Yaakov and Esau. And Michael was already talking about Esau. This comes from the Aramaic Targum again. So when we get there in Genesis 25, you'll just have to entertain me and pretend like you haven't heard this before. Genesis 25 verses 29 through 33 says this, and this is the conflict between the two, uh, sibling rivalry again, Yaakov and Esau. On the day that Abraham died, Yaakov dressed pottages of lentils and was going to comfort his father. And Esau came from the wilderness exhausted. For in that day, he had committed five transgressions. He had worship with strange worship, which is interesting because I think uh, the book of Jasher is, talks about how he killed Nimrod on that day. Um, but, and who? Uh, what did Nimrod do? He introduced the worship of, of fire. So that's kind of interesting there. So maybe he did something that was a part of Nimrod's religion. He worshiped with strange worship. Um, which, again, we see that with Aaron's sons. They brought forth a strange fire. Uh, he had shed innocent blood. We're, we're not sure what that is. I don't know if, if that would be Nimrod. I don't know what that is. But he had gone into a betrothed damsel. Uh-oh. He had denied the life of the world to come. So there you go right there. And had despised his birthright. All right. And Esau said to Yaakov, let me now taste the red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore, he called his name Edom. And you guys know this. You know, he sold his birthright for the, uh, for the pottage, for the, the, the bread and the soup. And Yaakov said, sell today as on this very day what thou wouldst hereafter appropriate thy birthright unto me. And Esau said, behold, I am going to die. And follow along, guys. This is straight from the same script of Cain. And in another world, I shall have no life. He's like, I'm going to die, guys. There's no afterlife. And what then to me is the birthright or the portion in the world of which thou speakest? 
So uh, that really struck me there about the portion of the world which thou speakest, uh, because it seems to me that they're they're living in the land, right? But I, I almost take that and go like, he's connecting that with the world to come, which would be paradise, uh, the 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 you know the 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 land of inheritance where I think all of us are going to be uh, transferred over to. Anyways, so you guys know the story from there. Esau sells his birthright, and then for the rest of uh, biblical history, Edom is trying to steal back what they sold. And, you know, we can get into the, the Edomites that are living there even to this day, um, how they have another thing coming. So so like, like Cain, Esau did not believe in the kingdom of heaven. That's a really interesting comparison. Also, there appears to be a connection between uh, as I said, heaven and the plot of land ca uh, called Israel in the birthright. Okay, so let's keep reading. This comes from chapter 27, skipping a couple chapters over. And it was when Yitchak was old and his eyes were darkened from seeing because when his father was binding him, he had seen the throne of glory. And from that time, his eyes had begun to darken. And he called Esau, his elder son, on the 14th of Nisan. Hmm. So there we have it again. Same event that happened, the, the contention with Cain and Abel happened on the 14th of Nisan. And he said to him, my son, behold, this night they, uh, uh, on wait, th that must be a misprint. Behold, this night on high praise Yahuwah of the world, and the treasures of the dew are opened in it. And he said, behold, I am. Okay, so the event happened on the 14th of Nis Nisan. Let's jump a few verses over, still in 27. And Esau answered his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Yetchek answered and said to Esau, Behold, among the good fruits of the earth shall be thy habitation, and with the dews of the heavens from above. And upon thy sword shalt thou depend, entering at every place, Yet thou shalt be supple and credulous and be in subjection to thy brother. Pay attention to this. But it will be that when his sons, so when uh, yet, uh, Yaakov's sons become evil, how are they becoming evil? And fall from keeping the commandments of the Torah. Hmm. Thou shalt break his yoke of servitude from off thy neck. So whenever... Uh, the sons of Yaakov break away from Torah. Edom will then move in and uh, take over, <laughs> kind of like they've done now. All right. And, um, and Esau kept hatred in his heart against Yaakov, his brother, on account of the order of blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, so what is he saying in his heart? I will not do as Cain did, who slew Abel in the lifetime of his father for which his father begat Seth. But we'll wait till the time when the days of mounting for the death of my father come, and then I will kill Yaakov, my brother, and will be found the killer and the heir. So what you see here is, is it's almost like now uh, uh, Esau was not the, the seed of Satan, but it's the same story playing out. Cain killed Abel so that he could be the heir, that you know he wanted the kingdom for his, his, himself. What Esau is recognizing is like, okay, the, the mistake Cain made was uh, killing his brother before, uh, before Adam died. And he was like, okay, I'm going to wait till my father dies, and then I'm going to kill him off, and I will be the heir of the kingdom. So that's really interesting to make that um, connection there. Anyways, with that, I think we're moving on to verse 9, so I'm going to hand it back to Michael. I actually don't have anything to 11, so if you want to continue. 
No, go ahead. Okay. Uh, 11 and 12. So Palestinian, not going to read the KGV this time. It says, um, and now because thou hast killed him, thou art cursed from the earth, which had opened the mouth and received the bloods of thy brother from thy hand. When thou tillest the earth, it shall not give strength to its fruits for thee. A wander in exile shall thou be in the earth. I want to talk about the two-part sentencing that Cain gets here. So the first is that the earth was cursed by Abel's blood. Should Cain attempt to farm the land, the earth would not yield produce for him. So this may imply why he went and built cities, namely the city of Enoch. He couldn't practice his profession anymore, basically. Right? That's what he was supposed to do. His curse was that it wouldn't produce field. So then he went into the cities and built. Um, real quick, some additional stuff on Enoch. City of Enoch. And this is not the Book of Enoch. This is the Cain Enoch. Obviously, there's two Enochs. Uh, I was reading that it was most likely located somewhere in Mesopotamia where the rivers would change courses year by year, causing farmers to wander and replant near the location of the river every year. Um, heard also, some say it's the city, it's by the city of Uruk, U-R-U-K. I don't know. The second part of the curse marks Cain as a fugitive and a wanderer. So, the combination of this Hebrew phrase, fugitive of wonder, is unique. Um, some interpretations suggest that Cain went on to live a nomadic lo- lifestyle and that he was, I think I read this already, that he was excluded from the family unit. Um, in the Septuagint, the emphasis on Cain's curse is dramatically increased, saying groaning and shaking upon the earth. So he wasn't just a wanderer, he groaned and shaked upon the earth. Um, Syriac Christianity interprets that as a real-life affliction that would enable others to know he was who he was when they saw him. So they think there was a physical affliction wrong with him. And the Samaritan Pentateuch um, translates the same verse that Cain feared being an exile and an unstable man. Um, that's what I have for 11 to 12. Real quick, I guess I'll just do to 15 since that was pretty quick. Um, and the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. For those who recall, do you guys remember the band Avenge Sevenfold? Did they were they Cain fans? <laughs> I don't know. And the Lord set upon a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So, what do you guys think this mark was? Um, the actual word mark could mean sign, omen, warning, remembrance, motion, gesture, agreement, miracle, wonder, or most commonly a letter. So, in the Torah, the same word is used to describe the stars as suns or omens. The rainbow as the sign of Yah's promise to never again destroy his creation with a flood, circumcision as a token of Yah's covenant with Abraham, and the miracles performed by Moses before the Pharaoh. So Cain's mark is the same thing as those other things. Um, And I think Nolan and I have both stated that he could have repented. He didn't. He had protection somewhat. Um, And then finally, I'll hand it back to Noel. Uh, Rashi, the famous rabbi, says that he thought the mark was one of the Hebrew letters of the Tetragrammaton. He engraved a letter of Yah's name onto the Cain's forehead. And if you remembered earlier, I mentioned the possibility of a horn on Cain. What do you think that is? Was was that the mark? I don't know. Uh, I'll stop right there. Man, it back to Noel 15. Well, what's interesting, I'll just point out really quickly in verse 12, is you see a direct correlation between the sin and the curse. So when thou tellest the earth, it shall not be given you know, strength to its fruit for thee. And, and Michael covered that really well. I just want to point that out 
specifically that we see constantly in here that whatever the sin is, there is a correlation with the curse. Now, it, uh, let's see, in verse 11, it talks about how the blood, uh, let's see, the, the earth received the bloods of thy brother from thy hand. I could have done a whole study on this some time ago, and I need to update this paper. I did a, a whole presentation on the earth is a womb, and I showed how the earth is a, a conscious creation, that the earth is conscious, the sea is conscious, the firmament is conscious. It's all these, these kind of spirits and so on and so forth. And it's really interesting that the earth here is, is and we also saw, I, I talked about earlier, a few weeks earlier, that the, the, the moon gave an evil report and was you know cursed as a result of that. And so you see a lot going on here that even nature, it's not just Cain that's in rebellion, that nature is maybe in rebellion. Well, the earth here you see constantly is in a, uh, actually appears to have a, a very much a fear of Yah. And if we ever make it to Exodus, you'll see a really interesting play when the Israelites are crossing the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army comes in and there's like an actual argument between the earth and the sea about who is to take Pharaoh's army because they don't want to be responsible um, if, you know, anything goes wrong. So this is what we read in, once again, in the first book of Adam and Eve, chapter 79. And I, I found this really interesting. Then Cain, the hard-hearted and cruel murderer, took a large stone and beat his brother's head with it until his brains oozed out, and he wallowed in his blood before him. And Cain repented not of what he had done. Man, that is some hatred right there. I mean, his, like his brains are coming out, and he's like wallowing in the blood of it. But the earth, okay, so here's the, here's the earth. But with the earth, when the blood of righteous Abel fell on it, trembled as it drank his blood. So Yahuwah reported that the, the blood actually went into the earth. That's what it says in Genesis. And, uh, and would have destroyed Cain because of it. And the blood of Abel cried mysteriously to Elohim to avenge him of his murder. That, that's a really interesting concept about uh, the, the blood crying out. And, and that's a whole study I would love if Michael even did something like that. When you get to the book of Enoch, you see that Enoch goes to Sheol and he still sees the, uh, the, the spirit of the dead soul of Abel, whatever that looks like crying out that he's still at that point in history before it was before the flood he was still crying out uh to yahuwah uh based on what he did and continuing then cain began at once to dig the ground wherein to lay his brother so he's trying to cover up his tracks for he was trembling from the fear that came over him when he saw the earth tremble on his account so there probably was like an earthquake of some sort he then cast his brother into the pit he made and covered him with dust but the ground would not receive him, but it threw him up at once. So the earth actually vomits Abel. Again, Cain dug the ground and hid his brother in it. But again, the ground threw him up on itself until three times the ground thus threw up on itself the body of Abel. The muddy ground threw him up the first time because he was not the first creation. And it threw him up the second time and would not receive him because he was righteous and good and was killed without a cause. And the ground threw him up a third time and would not receive him that there might remain before his brother a witness against him. And so the earth mocked Cain. So the, the earth is consciously mocking Cain until the word of Elohim came to him concerning his brother. And we see in other texts, I'm not going to cover them all, uh, where 
basically what's happening is is that the earth refused to bury Abel until Adam was dead. And then once Adam was uh, dead and buried, Abel, I mean, he would have been, I guess, bones or dust by that point. He would just rotted out there, I guess. But uh, then finally the earth took him in. And I'm not even sure on all the reasons why on that, but there's multiple texts talking about that, which is really interesting. So uh, let's see. Michael did a great job of talking about the the mark. I'll cover Genesis 4.16 real quick. Uh, I just found this really fascinating. It says, And Cain went out before Yahuwah and dwelt in the land of the wandering of his exile. And this is what I found fascinating. Which had been made for him from before as the Garden of Eden. So we constantly see throughout the Targum that there were things that Yahuwah designed in his master plan from the beginning. He designed the uh, Garden of Eden. Actually, uh, Yahusha, the Word, uh, designed the Garden of Eden. And it appeared to be a project with uh, the Ruach HaKadosh, the Father, and also we see the different angels uh, planting trees. And it was like a huge project. But he planted Gehenna from the very beginning, as well as the places of wandering. And I find that really fascinating. He When he put the firmament there to keep us out of heaven, he designed this earth in a fascinating way uh, for so many spiritual lessons, but also, you know, a testing ground. And, um, and so it's, again, we, we see what, who wanders through the desert? Well, evil spirits, unclean spirits, right? Fallen angels. We constantly see them in the wilderness, like the wilderness, the, the land of wandering was designed for these unclean spirits and so on and so forth. And that's where we see Cain wandering. I just wanted to point that out. I'm going to hand it back to you, Michael. All right, I have uh, some stuff on Nod as well. So, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. I'm going to read the Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jerusalem Targum. And Cain went out from before the Lord and dwelt in the land of exile and wandering eastward of the Garden of Eden. And it had been before Cain slew Abel, his brother, that the earth multiplied fruits as the fruit of the Garden of Eden. But from the time that he sinned and killed his brother, it changed to produce thorns and thistles. I thought that was interesting that up until that time, you could still get a lot of fruit from the ground. And then as soon as that happened, that's when the thorns and thistles came. But I know, you know, the normal Genesis, Masoretic, just says that was Adam's punishment. So I don't know what to make of that. But uh, the word nod in Hebrew, the Hebrew word of the verb, it means to wonder. So therefore, to dwell in the land of nod can mean to live a wandering life. So I mentioned earlier about... Uh, Freemasons and the, the, I thought it was a Cain religion. This is also that. <laughs> it's also like that. So, you know, the Freemasons, they would say to someone they met who they suspected to be a brother, are you a traveling man? And if you're a Freemason, the answer should be yes. And they ask, where are you traveling from? And you, you would say from west to east or east to west. It's a Cain religion. <laughs> That's it. They're a wandering man. They're a wandering life. Um, a Jesenius lexicon defines that that word nod is to be moved or to be agitated, used of a reed shaking by the wind. Hence to wander, to be a fugitive, to flee. The harvest has fled. I wanted to focus on the reed shaken by the wind. It reminded me of Yeshua in Matthew 11. So he says, as these disciples of John were going away, Yeshua began speaking to the crowds about John. What did, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who wear soft clothing are in king's palaces. 
But what did you go to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and one who is more than a prophet, this is the one whom is written. Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I don't know, I just thought that was interesting. A reed shaken by the wind was also the land of Nod. I don't know if that was the wilderness. Maybe that's where John was. I don't know. Um, and then came when it was his time. Okay, some additional information on Nod from the church fathers and historians. Josephus says that Cain continued his wickedness in Nod, resorting to violence and robbery, establishing weights and measures, transforming human culture from innocence into craftiness and deceit. I thought this was interesting. Establishing property lines and building a fortified city. That's what he says Cain did in, in Nod. Um, also, Nod is said to be outside of the presence or face of Yah. Origen, Church Father, defined Nod as the land of trembling and wrote that it symbolized the condition of all who forsake God. Early commentators treated it as the opposite of Eden. Um, Nod was sometimes described as a desert inhabited by only ferocious beasts or monsters. Something Noel kind of hit on there. Others interpreted Nod as a dark or even underground and away from the face of God. What's up? What's up with all these underground bases and you know the stories of these giants being down there? I don't know. Could it be underground? Augustine described whether this is true. I don't know if this is true. Augustine described unconverted Jews as dwellers in the land of Nod, which he defined as commotion and carnal disquietude. Again, I don't know. I'll do one more in 19, because mine are slim pickings now. Uh, and Lamech took him unto... Blah, 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 blah. Number 19. And Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other Zillah. Just want to point out, Lamech, son of Cain, was the first to have two wives. Uh, that's all I got. I have 24, 25, and 6 are the last of my notes. I'll hand it off to Noel. Well, I'll try to sum some of this up because I have a lot of notes still, and I don't know if I'm going to make it tonight. When we start getting into the genealogies, I always, you, for the longest time before I accepted serpent seed, I found them really odd. I'm like, why is Moses putting such a focus on these two genealogies, especially if the sons of Cain were wiped out in the flood? Like, just why? Why not just why not just show the genealogy from Adam through Seth on down because they're the ones that came onto the ark? And uh, the, the rest were just, you know, the children of Cain, whatever. Why, why did we get names like Lamech, Tubal Cain, and Naama? Why is she so important in this narrative? Now, I don't even have time to go over this all um, at this time. I will just tell you guys, though, from what I have researched, that Naama was one of Noah's wives. Dun, dun, dun. And she was, of course, you know, one of the children of Cain. So, yes, yes, Noah married one of the children of Cain and according to all my research and according to the writings of Abraham and some other books I've read, uh, they had a child together and his name was Ham. And no, uh, Naima did not end up on the ark. She was much older than Noah. She died before the flood. He had another wife. They would have been married at the same time, of course. Yes, polygyny. I just went there. But uh, he had another wife who he had Shem and Yepeth with. Don't have time to go over that all now. But I just really want to point out that uh, otherwise, it's why even mention Naima? Why would Moses do that? He never says in the Genesis account that that is Ham's mother. But let's not forget that uh, the the children of Israel, before Torah was written, they had other books 
Uh, I have no doubt in my mind about that. They would have gone, oh, Naima, I know who she is. She's, you know, Ham's mother. I just, no doubt in my mind about that. Otherwise, why would she be there? It makes no sense. All right. Let's see here. So let's jump in here. Okay, this was kind of interesting because we see uh, the the passage where Lamech said to his wives, this is it, this first song that is recorded in Scripture, which is a little uh, interesting that it comes from the sons of Cain. And uh, said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, wives of Lamech, hearken to my words, for I have not killed a man that I should be slain for him. Neither have I destroyed a young man on whose account my children should perish. Now, according to the book of Lamech of Cain and Leviathan. There was a, I talked earlier about the book and how it, uh, it talked about the sons of Cain all had leprosy, which again, is fascinating. There was another very, there was quite a few fascinating things in there that actually filled in a lot of gaps. And one of them is this, it says in, I think chapter one, verse 16, or maybe it's chapter two, whatever it says. And when it was so that Lamech, that if Lamech, same guy, clapped his hands together that the Leviathan would kill he whom which Lamech instructed. So he would clap his hands like that. Leviathan would go kill somebody. Now, if you're imagining Leviathan here like Fred Flintstone and a dinosaur, it seems a bit silly. As I have pointed out earlier in the study, if you can understand esoterically that Leviathan, yes, is a physical creature, but is the embodiment of death. Lamech is a master Mahan. What Michael is talking about about the Freemasons is totally legit. That uh, the rights of Abraham just outs this and says that they were they were you know Mahans, which is just a play on Mason. And uh, and Lamech was the master. He had learned the craft. But it's saying that he was able to have, in a way, like death was. Um, uh, it would almost be like if you had a story where somebody. You know, like the Grim Reaper, like the Grim Reaper was working for you and you had control. You had the Grim Reaper on a leash and you're like, OK, go kill this guy. Go kill that guy. Like he was a master wizard. All right. So let's look at really quickly here in Jasher. And after Lamech kills Cain, uh, it says, let's see, wait, hold on. Let's let's read it, it says uh, and two ball. OK. And Lamech was old and advanced in years. And his eyes were dim that he could not see. And Tubal Cain, his son, was leading him. And it was it was one day that Lamech went into the field, and Tubal Cain, his son, was with him. And while they were walking the field, Cain, the son of Adam, advanced towards them. For Lamech was very old and could not see much. And Tubal Cain, his son, was was very young. Um, all right. And Tubal Cain told his father to draw his bow, and with the arrows he smote Cain. All right. So. Lamech is really upset, and it says this. This is a really interesting line. And Lamech was very much grieved at having done this, and in clapping his hands together, he struck his son and caused his death. Well, that's weird. How do you clap your hands and cause someone's death? I'm just, there's no explanation for that, except for the idea that death itself, Leviathan, was at his command, and he came and killed him. So that's really interesting. Now, one of the things I love about the writings of Abraham is that this is another marvelous post-mud flood text that came out of oblivion like so many others uh you know you know came out on the black market in egypt or whatever and if this is a forgery it is phenomenal because it predates the dead sea scrolls and i pointed out that there are things in the dead sea scrolls that uh only line up with the writings of abraham like how do, how in the world do you pull that off uh so 
I want to give a little bit of the story of what's going on there with the, 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 the struggle with the sons of Cain. And I want you guys to think that uh, to compare with our lives today and how what is going on here in the years leading up to the flood is exactly what's going on in our day and age and the whole true the realm. Now, Noah had taken a wife of the seed of Cain, and she was a righteous woman. Nevertheless, the curse remained with her seed, according to the word of Elohim. And Noah took her on the wise for the word of Yahuwah came unto Noah, saying, Take unto thyself Naamah, the daughter of Lamech, who dwelleth here in the city of thy fathers, for she hath been faithful to my gospel. Wherefore, I shall preserve through her the seed of Cain through the flood. Let's see. Do I want to read all this? Let me skip all that. Let me see. Uh... Okay. Now I'll go ahead and read the whole thing. It's all good. Uh, so he's Yahuwah is going to preserve the seed of Cain throughout the flood. And you might ask, well, why is he going to do that? This is part of the great contest. And it, it, it goes on constantly that, you know, I could see Satan up in a court, you know, up in heaven going, well, you know, um, you need to uphold. You want to just destroy everyone. You're cheating. You know, you, you need to uphold your end here. And, uh, you know, like if I put my my children in the way, will yours, you know, keep the law, right? Like just like with Job and so many others, you know, you see it constantly. And it was the same thing with uh, with Abraham and uh, his son Yitzhak. And we we see in extra biblical books that it was also a challenge that he brought before Yah. And uh, so that's, I think, what this comes down to. This Lamech, who was the father of Naamah, was the seed of Cain, being the son of Methusael, the son of Mahujael, the son of Erad, the son of Enoch, son of Cain. And uh, as Michael pointed out, there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, names. It's almost like what you see in these two timelines is like dualism of a chessboard, of a, the, the whites and the blacks, and uh, a lot of familiar names that are actually compared. And I wish I had notes on that we see the the city of Enoch that's built by Cain's son, um, and but the writings of Abraham also talks about a different city of Enoch. It, it actually says New Jerusalem is the city of Enoch, so uh, not built by that one. So you see a lot of dualism here. Lamech had married Ada and Zella, the daughters of Canaan, the sons of Enos, the sons of Seth, the son of Adam. Ada uh, bare children unto Lamech, but Zella was barren into her old age when Yahuwah opened her womb and she conceived and bare a son and a daughter. Her son she named Tubal-Cain, saying, After I had withered away, have I obtained him from the almighty Elohim. Her daughter she named Naima. After I had withered away, have I obtained pleasure and delight. Chapter 13. While Naima was yet a child, great consternation fell upon the seed of Cain. For Erad, the son of Enoch, the son of Cain, had become a member of the secret combination. Ooh, sounds like a secret society. And was privy to all its secrets. Until one night, when Yahuwah appeared to him in a dream, saying, Arad, thou hast done evil instead of good, and has followed after Satan rather than Elohim. Wherefore, I shall destroy thee in thine house when I send in the floods upon the earth. But Arad was pricked in his heart and pled with Yahuwah to show mercy and preserve his seed through the great flood. Seeing that his patience was true, Yahuwah said to him, Arad, if thou wilt repent and reveal the evils of the secret combination unto the sons of Seth. Okay, pay attention to what's happening right here. I'll repeat this. If thou wilt repent and reveal the evils of the secret combination of these secret societies unto the sons of Seth, I will have mercy upon thee, and I will join thy seed unto the seed of Seth, that it may be preserved through the great flood. Wherefore, Erath went forth and began to reveal the secrets of the sons of Cain unto the sons of Seth. Okay, so 
This is where we're at in history right now. Um, we are at a point in history where we are seeing the secrets of, of the, the, these mysteries, of these secret societies come forth to the light. And as you know, the truther community, we are trying to expose this and show this to people. And as I have pointed out, the only reason we know about these things is because it is the uh, intel community and the, the Masons and the Jesuits and others who are exposing them to us. Some of them may be doing it like he did righteously, you know, out of repentance and others, you know, they're, they're just, it's where we're at in history and they're exposing it. So we're in a very similar place, but think about this. The sons of Seth did not know all these secrets that the sons of Cain were ruling over them, you know, psychodrama, magic. All, they didn't know about all this. They were just going about their lives and they didn't realize they were being played. And so now it's being revealed. Lamech being Master Mahon at the time, so Master Mason, found, uh, so Lamech, so he's the one that has uh, control over Leviathan, right? He has control over death itself. He's the, he is the, the most, the masterful wizard on the earth at this time. He found Arad, who was giving away the secrets, sitting in his garden, um, and he slew him. So Arad was suicided. Thus Lamech slew Arad for the sake of the oath of the secret combination, and he slew Arad's son with him. But Tubal Cain, the son of Lamech, uh, had followed him and viewed his evil deed, which he had committed, and he revealed it unto his mother Zella, and she unto her sister Ada. Wherefore Ada and Zella confronted Lamech with his evil and cursed him in the name of Yahuwah for having slain Arad, who had repented of his wickedness from among the sons of men. And then we get to the song. This is the explanation but behind it when he says uh hear my voice you wives of lamech and you know the rest so uh anyways uh so lamech's wives therefore feared to confront him further but lamech repented not of his evil deeds and finding his son tubal cain at prayer he slew him for having revealed his murder so here we get a slightly different play on um you know him slewing him right because in jasher and jubilees and stuff it, it seems like it has to do with cain with the death of cain I'm just saying that maybe this is a different, slightly different side of the same event. All right. And let's see, what else do I have here? I'm going to skip a lot of stuff. Um, here's, a, here's the last thing I'm going to talk about tonight. Um, if you don't mind, Michael, I'm just going to jump ahead, and then I'll let you have the closing notes. Uh, Genesis 4.26. I found this really fascinating. I hope you guys stick with me on this because I think I'm saving the best for last. Genesis 4.26 from the Targum. And to Seth also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. All right? So Enosh, uh, his grandfather is Adam. That was the generation in whose days they began to err and to make themselves idols. Well, what are these idols? This is fascinating. And surname their idols by the name of the word of Yahuwah. So that's interesting. We know the word of Yahuwah is Yahusha HaMashiach. In fact, I, the Targum actually insinuates at other points that, that the word is the coming Messiah. And idols were being made of him, the word, during the generation of Enosh. We have to wonder if the idols of Yahusha resemble anything like what the Roman Catholic Church has now done with Messiah upon the cross, where they will actually pray to his image on the cross. I would say it's very likely. Um, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. All sorts of religious practices were being corrupted in this time. Here is another one recorded in the writings of Abraham, which goes on to this day. 
uh, this is, of course, a quote from the writings of Abraham. They have neglected the ordinance of baptism, which I commanded into them in the token of the burial of the natural man, and have ceased to receive the anointing whereby they became kings and priests unto me. I don't have time to go into all this in baptism. It's a whole different discussion. We see in Adam and Eve and others in these ancient texts. All you know, the, Mel the Melchizedek priesthood was really into baptism. All right, and you can also find it in Torah in in the you know the the, the cleansing rituals. Yea, they have turned from my commandments and changed mine ordinances and have replaced baptism with the washing of children, which they call baptism. But behold, this is no baptism, for I will atone for the fall of Adam. Wherefore, little children are innocent until they reach the age of accountability. So you see back then, too, they were replacing, uh, they were doing the baptism of children, which is what the church does today. I think the Lutheran church does it. And then, of course, I think the Catholic church and others, um, definitely the Lutheran church. And I'd have to look into all the denominations. All right. What is particularly interesting about the context of this passage in the writings of Abraham is that it agrees that the Torah was around from the very beginning. So that's a huge uh, uh, bonus of you know, brownie points for me when I'm looking at these extra biblical books. Uh, the writing of, writings of Abraham is looking more and more legit. Uh, it was around even in the garden, according to the writings of Abraham. How very strange if the writings of Abraham is a post-mud flood forgery. So they were baptizing children during the generation of Enosh as well. That lines up with another book we've read in this group, the book of Lamech of Cain, which I've gone over, wherein the children were being passed through the waters to Leviathan as sacrificed, uh, immortal, uh, as immortalization rites. All right. So the baptism of the children during the times of Enosh uh, was uh, passing them through the flames and feeding them to Leviathan, uh, you know, death, obviously. The context and writings of Abraham is actually dealing with circumcision, which again, was around since the beginning. Once again, here's how writings of Abraham phrases it. I love this. At the end, of, this explains to everyone who say, well, why was, uh, why was circumcision not around to Abraham? Well, according to this, it was around before Abraham. It was not, uh, but the, the, the way the law is introduced to us at Mount Sinai, it's, it's, it's like the marriage covenant for us. They already had the law beforehand, but it's just the, the way the narrative works. So at the end of 13 years, Yahuwah appeared unto me, Abraham, and he said unto me, Abraham, because thou hast been faithful in all things unto me from the time that was three years old, and behold, now thou art 99, therefore I will establish my covenant with thee, for with thee I shall commence a new dispensation of the gospel, that from this time forth all those who would be sealed unto me must be sealed unto thee. Now, you hear the word dispensation there, and that you know that that that's a red flag for people. Um, and I don't even know how that was translated into this, just so you know, but it's, it's basically saying what it, it's, what it's essentially saying is the same thing it says in Torah that, you know, we are, if you want to be in a covenant with Yahuwah, you're going to be a child of Abraham. Wherefore, I will send Noah unto thee in the tabernacle, and he will bestow upon thee the keys of the priesthood. This is the Meshelzedek priesthood. For the city of Meshelzedek will I take up from off the earth, and there will be a new beginning in thee. Um, so anyways, all right. So it, it explains it explains right here why circumcision is introduced to Abraham, uh, uh, Abraham. It says, this is according to the covenant I made with Adam in the garden, Eden. So it's saying that Adam was circumcised in the garden. But I instructed Noah and Shem not to administer this cov covenant unto thee. So Noah and Shem teaches Abraham the entire law, Torah, except one thing, circumcision. Why? that thou mightest receive it in token of this new covenant which I make with thee. Although I gave these ordinances in the beginning unto Adam. So all the ordinances were given unto Adam in the garden. 
including circumcision. Here is something else which uh, Rags of Abraham attributes to Seth. This is fascinating. And this will be my closing point. And the king, the king of Egypt, uh, this is actually uh, uh, Nimrod's son, clothed me in his own robe. So he actually, this Pharaoh actually becomes righteous. Um, he he appears to convert and, and, um, and turn to Yah. This king clothed me in his own robes and seated me upon his throne, placing his own crown upon my head and his scepter in my hand. And I did teach him and his people in all the mysteries of godliness from first to last. Here's what I want you to pick up. For Pharaoh did introduce me into the temple which had been built by the fathers, commenced by Father Seth and completed by Father Shem after the great flood. And therein I did officiate in the rites and ordinances of the house of Yahuwah. It seems to be saying here that Seth built the pyramids in Egypt and Shem finished them after the flood. That lines up perfectly with everything many of us have researched with the pyramids, including the fact that they appear to have a lot of water damage, meaning that the pyramids actually uh, were pre-existence before the flood and they were covered in water at one time. But pay attention to what is happening here. Seth introduced true religion to the world, and the world did its best to askew it. Abraham recognized that Seth built the pyramids as a temple of worship, and so he performed rites and ordinances there for the house of Yahuwah. Now, I can't prove that these are the pyramids, but they have all the markings of the pyramids, and there have been much research and commentary done on the pyramids, uh, as you guys know. You guys can look up that research for yourself. It is not my research, it's others. Uh, and I was reading the book St. Paul in Britain recently by R.W. Morgan, and he made the case that Seth was the first great religious leader who instructed the world in the worship of Yah. And that makes sense to me. If you think about it, this is why there are so many spiritual commonalities across our realm, across our plane. All the different mystery religions, they are corruptions, undoubtedly, but they all stem from one central source. And the case seems to be made repeatedly that these corruptions emanated from the true religion of Seth. We are told, for example, that Plato introduced many of the concepts that led to Greek Hellenization via the, his student Aristotle and his pupil Alexander the Great. And so what historians do is they treat these texts, we read, like geological co columns, like dinosaurs. Um, if they have ideas in them that may sound something like what Plato would say, they will claim that they couldn't possibly be older than Plato, uh, hence the columns, because according to scholars, Plato introduced these concepts to the world. Therefore, you see what I'm saying? If there are there are books that appear to have Plato thoughts in them, they must be post-Plato. That's, that's stupid and ridiculous. I fell for that at one time. The problem here is that we are assuming Plato introduced the world to the mysteries of heaven, when in fact, even the scholars know this, he took the concepts, his concepts from the Egyptians, from the Eleusinian mysteries, which he admits to, uh, Socrates admits to, and something which is rarely discussed, the Druids. The Druids were all across Europe, and they way predated uh, Plato. Uh, if anything, Plato stole his ideas from the Druids. The Druidic faith is an ancient one and, again, is a direct corruption from the religion of Seth. I'm not, guys, I'm not saying the Druids are the way, the truth, and life. I'm saying they're a corruption, okay? I'm not saying follow the Druids. But they have a lot of interesting commonalities, uh, just as the Egyptian religion does. 
Is everybody following what I'm saying? There is nothing new under the sun. All the corruption and commonalities we see converge on specific points in his story. One such incident is the incursion of the Watchers. All right, we'll get to that next week. But even earlier than that, Seth served as a high priest. It seems that many ideas distributed or disbanded from him. Uh, baptism, circumcision, sacrificing bulls, probably. Uh, Mountain-like temples, uh, a.k.a. the pyramids. Uh, which would then be borrowed from uh, Nimrod with the Zagorats, and so on. That perversion came from the children of Cain. All right, so this is what writings of Abraham says. Moreover, Nimrod was a man of mighty power, for he was Master Mahon and had in his hands the secrets of the ancients, as they had come down from who? From Cain, wherein he knew the words of power and the signs for using them, and he had the holy garments which had been given unto Adam, and the garden in which was great power, which we read about in Jasher. That's going to be my, the end of my commentary for the night. Back to you, Michael. <clears throat> All right. Um, Thunder was stolen, and you did a great job on Seth. And ironically, you didn't talk about the book I was going to. So again, we complimented each other well. Um, on 24, I was going to read that Jasher account, but you did a great job. I would just notate it if you guys want to read it again. I'll post it how it is different um, than what we've been talking about and how he died. Uh, I think it, it will get to it next week, but I just want to notate that Lamech dies at the age of 777. And if he killed Cain, is that how he's avenged sevenfold? I don't know. I don't know how that... I just thought it was an interesting number. Um, I'm going to skip 25 because I don't have much. So 26, this is just my... Small commentary on 26. So KGB says, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. Then began, to men to, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And Palestinian says, And to Sheph also was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. That was the generation whose days began to err, and to make themselves idols, and surname their idols by the name of the word of the Lord. No pointed out the word of the Lord again. Which the Masoretic takes away. So some things I found on Seth, um, and again, it's comparing the Masoretic with the Septuagint. So according to the book of Genesis, Seth was born when Adam was 130 years old, according to the Masoretic, or 230 years, according to the Septuagint. So there was a hundred years difference. Which one is incorrect? Which one's correct? And then it also says, and we'll get to it, I think, next week. And I don't know why I put it in here. But uh, it's maybe, maybe, let me check that. Let me check that real quick. Maybe it doesn't, but since it's in my notes, I'll say it. But it says, it will say, Seth was in his likeness and image. It, he became the likeness of Adam, where Adam was in the likeness of Yah. Again, it goes back to what I was saying last week, is, is are we in the likeness of our parents now? Because the fallen state Adam was in, in that, uh, you know, if people believe he was a spiritual being, he was in... He was in God's image, but Seth appears to be in Adam's image and likeness. Um, the apocalypse of Moses. So more on Seth. Seth and Eve travel to the doors of the garden to beg for some oil of the tree of mercy or the tree of life. Interesting. On the way, Seth is attacked and bitten by a wild beast, which goes away when ordered by Seth. Michael, the angel, Michael, Michael refuses to give them oil at that time. 
now here's the good part, but promises to give it at the end of time. When all flesh will be raised up, the delights of paradise will be given to the holy people, and Yah will be in their midst. On their return, Adam says to Eve, what, ha what hast thou done? Thou hast brought us upon a great wrath, which is death. Later, only Seth can witness, and this is cool, later only Seth can witness the taking up of Adam at his funeral in a divine chariot, which deposits him in the Garden of Eden. Again, take it for what it's worth, Apocalypse of Moses. Um, Josephus refers to Seth as virtuous and of excellent character, reports that his descendants invented the wisdom of the heavenly bodies and, and built the pillars of the sons of Seth, two pillars inscribed with many Seth scientific discoveries and inventions, notably in astronomy. So they were built by Seth's descendants based on Adam's prediction that the world would be destroyed at one time by fire and one time by a global flood in order to protect the discoveries and be remembered after the destruction. So one was composed of brick, the other of so stone. So if the pillar of brick should be destroyed, the pillar of stone would remain, both reporting ancient discoveries and informing men that a pillar of brick was also erected. So Josephus reports that this pillar of stone remained in the land of Syriad in his day. And then finally, again, the Zohar refers to Seth as ancestor of all the generations of the Zadokim, which in Hebrew means righteous ones. So Seth was a righteous one. That's all I got for chapter four. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I guess if Noel doesn't have anything left, we can um, open it up. The defense rests. I hand it over to the jury. Hopefully you guys, go ahead. I wonder possibly if the Great Pyramid could be that uh, container of knowledge because uh, if you've done a lot of study on the Great Pyramid, it contains almost all the astrological and numerical knowledge of the entire world is in that thing. It's, it's amazing that that could be it and date all the way back that far. Precisely. One of the things about the Great Pyramids is that, they, you know, they tell us, like, it it's a theory that still sticks. And I don't know if anyone really believes this, that the pyramids were built to bury the Pharaohs. And when you study the, the, the ancient religions, they would bury someone in the earth, in the ground, because it was closer to Sheol. They wouldn't put them in like a mountain, like um, structure. And so clearly the pyramids were not built to house dead Pharaohs. Um, and, it's one of those buildings. You know, we talk about this a lot with the mud flood and such. It was, in my opinion, repurposed by the Egyptians. The Egyptians completely hijacked the pyramid culture and they restru restructured them for other uses. But yeah, I, I I think that the best guess, according to what I read, is that Seth uh, was personally responsible for building the pyramids. Yeah, the the Egyptian uh, history where they say that, you know, they built all these other pyramids and finally got it right and built the three great pyramids is it's a total myth. There's no hieroglyphics. There's absolutely nothing Egyptian in those three pyramids whatsoever. And I'm of the firm belief that they were built first. And then all the other ones that are falling apart all around them were all copies where they were trying to make the same thing, but they didn't really have the knowledge to do it. My understanding is that the official narrative would agree with that. I mean, my understanding of Egyptian history, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, 
was that the Great Pyramids were built first, and then each of the succeeding pharaohs tried to replicate that. And you look at them; they were just pieces of junk. I mean, they were just they were they were junky. They couldn't re they couldn't reproduce them. That should cause everyone to you know talk about cognitive dissonance to really scratch their heads and go, how could they build something so magnificent, and then suddenly they couldn't? Um, yeah, they, the technology they didn't have it because they weren't the ones that built it. It just it doesn't work in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, all the burial spots are all around there where they found all the pharaohs. I mean, and they're full of Egyptian hieroglyphs and all that, but there are none, zip, zero, zilch inside the Great Pyramid. No, there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that the Egyptians built them, but that's what they keep telling us. So then, you you know, the next thing is that, you know, you look at the the capstone and the the eye of Horus and the capstone coming down and you see how occult that is and you see that on our dollar bills and stuff. And so that begs the next thing about how much of Freemasonry, how much of uh, all these secret societies basically took things that were pre-existing that were true and they they're the inheritors, they corrupted them um, and so on and so forth. And I have to be careful talking about this because then I'm going to hear it on, you know, somewhere else like Noel's like, a, you know, he's promoting this Freemason. I'm not promoting Freemasonry, but, you know, you see you see things that have been they are they have taken control of just like the Egyptians inherited the pyramids and they claim them as their own. And um, like at the point I made on Seth and how there is a true religion that he put forward, which I believe is the Hebrew faith, obviously. Uh, hopefully everyone here does as well. And you see all this is also explains too. you know, when people talk about how pagan Yahusha is, he's like, oh, you know, he's just Dionysus or Bacchus or whatever. I'm just like, OK, well, hold on here. Hold on here. Either you believe the Bible is true or you don't. OK, if you don't, fine. You can go that he's just a copy of Dionysus or you can look at the fact that. Uh, there is a true religion. It, all these, all these commonalities, these mystery religions across the plain, all show that there was, you know, an incursion of the Watchers. All these different things, and that there were these mysteries of heaven that modeled Yahusha and others in in very corrupted ways. Um, that's my two cents on that. So, yeah, I agree absolutely. But I, I kind of, and I think you're going to agree with this also that you know when you say Bible. <laughs> Uh, I don't believe the Bible is true. I believe the truth is in there. I believe that, you know, he did preserve his word and it is in there, but there's so much missing and so much added to it. You know, uh, I'm not saying, trust me, my faith is rock solid, but it's not faith in the Bible. It's faith in the Holy Spirit and him revealing what is true and what is not true. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that too, obviously. Yeah, I mean, you guys know that I, like to read a lot of different texts and I realize that what, what people do is is when they this is gonna be unfair to some people, they're gonna criticize me for this, but I do think that there is an idolatry of of you know that the that we have this canon and that it's perfectly preserved, even though it's been proven not to be. Uh we can easily make that you know like the King James only crowd is uh, easily in my mind disproven. But uh so what happens is, is that, you know, you go to these other texts and you're like, oh, I don't like this one point in this text and this this doesn't go with my Masoretic. So the whole book is, you know, we're going to toss the whole thing out. We see that with like Enoch all the time. And it's like usually on one or two points. And 
and I'm always like, well, wait, hold on here. You know, like there's you know, there's more to the story. There's more to it. You know, the, the corruption that's happened to the text. And, you know, if we kind of just if we think through this and, and you know, compare and stuff, you know, we get a lot of our questions answered amazingly. Does anybody else have? I hope everyone. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say that I, I, I've got to thank Rob Skiba. He was the first one that I ever heard say, you know, eat everything and spit out the bones. And I love that. I agree with it 100%. You read it all. It's not going to hurt anything. And then just take what's good and throw out what's bad. So one thing I encourage everyone here, I should have said this at the beginning. You know this now for next week. If you haven't, you know, take notes as we're going, as Michael and I are going through this or as I'm going through any one of my, my, uh, my papers beforehand. And and you know, ask questions at the end, or throw any comments out that you observed that maybe we missed, or your point of view, or so. Does anybody else have anything on the Genesis Targum specifically? If anyone has anything on Paul, let's uh, perhaps hold that off a, a little bit, just because once we go on that, you know, we're going down that road and not coming back. So, does anyone have anything on Genesis chapter five? The the Targum and anything surrounding that. I thought it was really interesting that you made a connection with the Druze and uh, Seth and that. Uh, and I remember when we lived in Israel, we had went to uh, a Drew city and um, which I didn't know at the time that they, their prophet was Jethro and they actually have a tomb there. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever had an opportunity to go visit it. Um, and they have a Jethro's, you know, they say it's Jethro's tomb in uh, southwest of Arbel, which is in uh, southwest of Galilee. And I was really blown away by this, that these this sect of people worship Jethro and that this was their prophet. And um, yeah, I just thought that was a really amazing connection that you had mentioned that tonight. And it just kind of triggered that um, time we went to Jethro's tomb and met these Druze and went to the Druze cities and stuff like that. I just thought that was super interesting. I thought that was a really interesting connection to, um, I've, you know, I've always thought about how the religions all came from Nimrod and Babylon and their, their perspective of him getting shifted as the languages fragment. I hadn't, I had never, um, I never looked at it from the perspective that you presented tonight. You mean from uh, from Seth's perspective? perspective? Yeah, yeah, from the perspective of him having the holy, you know, the holy true um, order or religion or whatever, and then that getting twisted, and then ultimately fragmenting off. Um, yeah, and obviously there were there were multiple times in history, like obviously Nimrod was one, and then. Uh, the Watchers incursion was another big one, right? And I, I, I will point this out again probably next week, guys. This is huge. When it, it took me a long time to, uh, to appreciate this. When Yahuwah criticizes the Watchers, and he says, "You gave them the mysteries of heaven, but they were worthless mysteries." All right, they were worthless ones. He's not saying that they were false mysteries. The Watchers gave real mysteries of heaven. But why were they worthless? Because they didn't teach Torah. It's the same thing that happened in Psalms, uh, is it 82 or Psalm 81 with the uh, with the Elohim that they are they are not teaching the truth of his Torah and they will be judged as a result. But 
So you you get this corruption and all the, the watchers bring this corruption to all these different world religions um, that don't have you know who is instructions and in righteousness, but they have a very I guess a very perverted view of of true mysteries in a lot of ways. And again, I always have to be careful of that because I am not instructing anyone to go to the New Age faith or to the Druids or to the you know whatever you know none of the others. But I think you guys know what I mean by that. No, when you were talking about the possibilities of what happened with the seed line, who fathered who, and the uh, uh, story of uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Nabel, uh, were they twins, and, and all of this uh, took me back into, uh, uh, actually a couple of weeks ago when you were in chapter one of uh, the Targum, and we talked about uh the creation of six day man and woman and i note also that in throughout the whole rendering of chapter one uh yahuwah is referenced only as elohim in that and it's only in chapter two that after adam is formed and taken into the garden that we see the name of yahuwah is revealed in that and that indicated to me that adam in the garden was made to be a priest to the creation of six day men and women who were to populate the earth. He was to be the Malchizedek priest to them and, and, and invite them to come and know their creator by the name of Yahuwah. And of course that didn't take place. Satan, I believe got to the creation of six day man and woman corrupted one of them. Satan was also a priest in his own right, but he was a false dark priest, and he corrupted one of them, and Adam not guarding the garden possibly allowed this one man coming to the tree, which is of uh, knowledge of good and evil, which is a picture of the lineage of Satan, and this one probably, in my thinking, may have had sexual relationships with uh, Eve, and then she turns and she gives also to Adam of this fruit. That's kind of what I get from, from uh, what you put together tonight with this and what we talked about in the last couple of weeks. Okay, good. Now, um... Obviously, you know, as I said before, that and it doesn't matter what I believe, guys. Right? It, it, you guys know that it doesn't matter. I'm just giving. I'm just a guy here behind the microphone giving my opinion. Uh, I I do think that the the six day man is is. I, I agree with your position. Like that's my current belief. It's not like a gospel truth. Like if if it was just Adam and Eve and nobody else, I'm cool with that too. But I do think that there were many men and women that were created, and that obviously, like, how can he be a priest over humanity, right? If there's no humanity. Uh, the only the only thing that I, I really think about is that I see Adam in a role obviously very similar to Yahusha's role. And so Yahusha is our high priest. He is performing priestly duties, the Meshelzedek duties in heaven. And um as as Adam would have been a Meshelzedek. And the so how do I say this? Um 
like if if you were to talk to almost anybody in humanity today, they would go, you know, you know, Jesus. Well, where is he? Right? Like, like he's actually our high priest. He's performing duties for us, but we never see it. And I, I sometimes wonder that Adam and Eve, as performing those duties, that humanity on the earth, they never would have seen them. They may have not even known that they existed. If that makes any sense, um, they would have just been doing their duties uh, in the the heavenly realm. And I guess we can all debate whether the garden of Eden was on the earth physically at that time, or if it was up in heaven, I guess those are, that's a discussion we need to have, uh, but no, I, that was all excellent. Very good. Um, that was, I, I, I agree. So in, uh, in verse seven and verse eight, always catches my eyes when they, and there's a lot more than the other, um, the other translations. So verse seven, it was interesting to me that he said, uh, he added in this little phrase where he says, and into thy hand I delivered power over evil passions. So it wasn't only that he like warned in the in this Palestinian version, it wasn't only that he warned him not to sin, warned Cain not to sin, but he told him he gave him the power over the evil passions. So he gave him all he needed in order to do what was right. And he still did it. And then in verse eight, part of the, some more things that were, that are in this translation that aren't in others is the, uh, where is it at? Where he says, um, where Cain is uh, answering Abel, and he basically says, there's no judgment. Um, there'll be no vengeance taken of the wicked, um, nor will there be good reward given to the righteous. And that just seems like he's believing the same lie that Adam and Eve, or that, um, that Satan tried to tell to Adam and Eve in the garden. Where he's like, you shall surely not die. It's basically the same thing that Cain is believing here. There shall surely be no vengeance taken on the wicked. Yeah, that's good. And one thing that really struck me was, I kind of insinuated it earlier, was how you could have someone like Cain, who is in, who his own parents knew Yahusha personally, like they. I mean, they were guys, they were in his presence. He walked with them, right? They in the garden. They knew what it was like to be in heaven in this elevated state. And to, for Cain to be so far gone that his eyes are completely darkened. And he's like, nope, it's all lies. My parents, they lied about everything. There is no heaven. There's no creator. There's no judge. There's no justice. There's no inheritance. There's no world to come. And it that's tragic. And and we see people in our lives where that happens to them, where like that should, you know, there's only two prime emotions, love and fear. And I'm not telling you guys to be fearful. Hopefully you know what I mean when I say we should fear Yah and be in fear of going down that route of having our eyes darkened, of being, of having Yah hand us over to our own desires of our hearts, right? We're not being repentant of our sins. We're handed over to the desires of our heart. And we're in a position where we could be standing right in front of Yah. We don't even see him. Like he just—he's not. He doesn't exist. I mean, that—that's the depravity of how far Cain had gone by this point. You know, you can kind of—you can kind of see it with Esau. Like, okay, yeah, you can see maybe why he became an atheist or whatever. But, uh, but to see that with Cain is pretty shocking. With that, I'm going to officially close. I was saying that I—I uh, I do appreciate Michael all the the work he puts into this, and I really do. And, um. He's uh, I see him as a uh, equal partner with me in the Genesis Targum series and hopefully future series we do. Um, I hope he never feels like second fiddle or anything like that. 
And uh, so thank you, Michael, for being part of it. Thank you, Josh, for doing these recordings. Always appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for, for coming and participating as well with your comments or just listening. I mean, I don't want to put any pressure on anyone. With that, we're going to officially close. So Shabbat Shalom one last time to everybody. And we'll do this again next week.